This is the Theology Matters podcast. I'm here today with Lucas Mix, a CTI member who has recently published a book called Life Concepts from Aristotle to Darwin on Vegetable Souls, which we're talking about today. Welcome to the podcast, Lucas. Great to be here. And this book was recently published by Paul Grave Macmillan. What led you to, to write this book? I know you've been working, you were working on it for, for quite a while. Yeah, I have been involved in astrobiology for the last 25 years, and I'm really interested in this question about the origin of life on Earth and the extent of life in the universe. And coming in as a biologist, trying to understand this question of origin and extent of life, I quickly ran into, well, what exactly am I looking for? What is my theory or definition of life that I'm doing this with? And I really moved backward from the present. So I, I started with ideas of life as, uh, as replicating nucleotides, DNA and RNA, and found that that idea was about 30 years old and that people had been saying, oh, well, we now understand what life is uh, and we'll be able to make it in the lab shortly. And I realized, you know, after about 30 years of that, well, we didn't really understand and we did, hadn't really made it in the lab. And so I looked back before that uh, and saw that there was a period of time when we talked about cybernetics, uh, and that also lasted 30 or 40 years of people saying, oh, well, we now understand what life is. Uh, we'll be able to make it in the lab shortly. Uh, before that, there was another period uh, that was closely tied to radiation. Um, and if you go back before radiation, going back to around 1900, people start talking about vegetable souls. And I thought this was a really weird thing. But the more I looked, the more I realized that vegetable souls was the, the dominant way of talking about nutrition and reproduction uh, in a very natural way prior to 1900, all the way back to Aristotle. Uh, so that got me down this rabbit hole of looking at the history of vegetable souls. Why is life so hard to define? People might think it's easy to define, but as you say, it's not actually easy. Well, I think one of the hardest things is that we feel so comfortable with our intuitions. And, you know, we generally know what's edible. We generally know uh, what we need to run away from because it might eat us. Uh, and so we have really well-developed intuitions about what life is. But once you start getting into the less familiar examples, once you look uh, far away at different kinds of life, then it becomes more difficult. We run into things like viruses that clearly require a living system in order for them to, to operate and persist and replicate themselves. Um, but if you just have them sitting by themselves, they don't do much. So do we call them alive because they happen in the context of life? Or do we say they're not alive because they don't happen when they're not in the context of other life? One of the things I was amazed about uh, with this book is how the scope of it, how many different figures you're talking about. You're going back thousands of years. You're telling this huge history that goes back to the pre-Socratics and comes all the way up to, to the 20th century. That kind of historical uh, approach, how is that received in the sciences? Well, I think there's a, a couple thresholds there. One is many scientists, for obvious reasons, try to focus on the knowledge that we've acquired since we've had empirical reasoning. And so they tend to be less interested, uh, certainly in biology, if you go back more than a couple hundred years, just because 
there were different ways of knowing uh, and we're very comfortable with our empirical ways of knowing in biology. But beyond that, I actually think a lot of scientists are interested in these questions of what are the perpetual issues? What are the things that we've thought about for a long time? Surprisingly, I ran into more resistance among students of humanities uh, who have drifted away from what's called comparative history of ideas, looking at large spans of history and tracing a single idea, um, and have moved towards historiography and really focusing in on making sure they understand one particular period. And I, I appreciate the methodological constraints, but I was really interested in this question of, of life and, and why we've been asking the same questions for so long. Where do you see this historical knowledge helping science today, or is that even a right way to look at it? I think it's really valuable because when you look at just a narrow slice of history, particularly in the sciences, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that you've come up with an entirely new answer that mm. suddenly solves all the problems. I see. And every once in a while, and, and, and I am a big fan of science. I think science does answer a lot of problems. It's just that sometimes when we forget how many times we have uh, taken a swing at this particular issue, we lose track of all of the ways that we have discovered previous answers were unsatisfying. Mm -hmm. And so in biology, there's, uh, so one of my favorite examples has to do with uh, self-regulation, how a living organism keeps itself out of equilibrium with the environment. That was very exciting to people in the 1940s and 1970s uh, under different languages in biology. But fascinatingly, very similar ideas can be traced all the way back to Aristotle. And, and once you realize that you say, oh, well maybe this isn't so much of a new insight uh, as new language for an old insight. Hmm. And that gives a little bit of humility, but also I think gives some tools for, for thinking, well, how can we address this differently? I want to get at some point to also to ask you, you know, just talk about this idea of vegetable souls and what it means. But maybe before that, I want to ask you just talk a bit about your own background and how you came to be a scholar who can sort of stride across these, these disciplines, the sciences, biology, as well as humanities, philosophy, theology, religion. As I say, that it's very impressive, the scope of this book. Thank you. I have always just been a hopeless academic. I love reading stuff. And so I went to college and got bachelor's degrees in biochemistry and comparative religion and have really always been interested uh, not only in these, these diverse approaches, but how they come together. Particularly in my case, I'm just interested in the question of life because we throw this word around and we generally know what we mean by it, but it carries a lot of weight. It carries a lot of weight in biology because we think there are biological explanations that are different from abiological explanations. And it carries even more weight in theology where we regularly use life as a way of talking about what is good, uh, what is right, what is divine. And so uh, if we're going to use these words and particularly when we use the same word life in different areas, say we use it in church, we use it in the public square, we use it in the lab. If those mean different things, then we quickly have problems. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I got fascinated by this question of what is life? and uh, all the different levers we have on that question. 
maybe by way of asking about what you mean by this vegetable soul idea and where you trace it in the history, maybe even before that, what are some of the, the kind of consensus ideas in science today about how to define life? Is there one kind of prevailing view or is it completely up in the air and there's all, you know, many, many views? Well, I would say there are three dominant theories of life. One of them is uh, what I call Darwin life. That is life that uh, evolves uh, and particularly evolves by natural selection. So we have a particular set of mathematical models for understanding that. So that's Darwin life has to do with evolution. I would say the, the second theory of life has to do with self-regulation and this idea that you have systems that exist out of equilibrium with their environment. They regulate themselves. Uh, frequently, we have this comparison to a thermostat that you have some regulating mechanism. So we had our evolving life, we have our regulating life. The third concept really has to do with all the types of life on earth that are related to each other, because we think that there's a, uh, there are common properties and a common origin to all life on earth. And so there's this concept of earth life as one family tree. And obviously there's a lot of overlap. There's people who want both evolution and self-regulation, uh, but those three, evolution, regulation, and relationships among life on earth, I would say are the dominant theories of life in science. And maybe in comparison to that, talk about the, the vegetable souls. Ah, so vegetable souls is an idea that comes in the form that I talk about the most from Aristotle. And Aristotle says that there are four types of interesting cause questions. What something is made of, where something comes from, like the effort that went into making it, the identity of it, how it's named, and finally, what its purpose is. So these are called uh, the four causes or the material, efficient, final, and formal causes. Mm -hmm. And Aristotle says that something is alive when it has a a cause, an efficient cause, uh, we, call, we call all causes these days, we call, huh, when we say cause these days, we usually mean efficient cause. Mm -hmm. So when something has the same cause and identity and purpose or end, Aristotle says it's alive. And I think this fits very well with a modern biological concept where natural selection is both contributing to something, the, the cause of it, the efficient cause, uh, gives it its identity and also defines its ends, purposes, its function. Mm -hmm. So those three things together, cause, identity, and purpose are a vegetable soul for Aristotle and a way of thinking about life. And you, you think even given today's modern science that that kind of idea, can that be re sort of recovered? I don't think the term vegetable soul can just because we have so much um, we have so much invested in the terms vegetable and soul. Mm -hmm. But I do think that this confluence of cause, identity and purpose hmm. can be recovered and does give us an interesting way to think about life. 
And so in any life form, you would want to be looking for cause, identity, and purpose. And finding those would be one way to identify that what we have is life. Yeah. In, in more modern terms, I would say I'm, I'm looking for a population that's interacting with, uh, with evolution by natural selection uh, and in that way being shaped by the environment. Uh, in this case, the cause has to do with ancestors struggling to survive the identity has to do with its relationship within that population and within that environment and its purpose mm-hmm. has to do with perpetuating itself. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's very consistent with modern biology. Maybe speak a bit about what, in what period in history this, this idea of vegetable souls kind of uh, fell away. The concept that Aristotle has of vegetable souls in this very systematic way is developed, uh, well, obviously with Aristotle in ancient Greece, but it's, it's in dialogue with ideas by Plato about a soul being something subsistent that powers physical entities. And a dualist idea develops that somehow matter is natural and souls are supernatural. So Plato's souls and Aristotle's souls get muddled together. And you can see starting from, oh, about uh, the first century, Mm -hmm. this idea of trying to put them together in a sensible way. And it leads to a division of the way we think about living things and the way we think about non-living things. And that division slowly gets wider and wider until Descartes just absolutely tears the human agency uh, and human consciousness apart from physical extension Hmm. and plants go the way of physical extension and humans go the way of souls. And for the last 500 years, roughly, we've just had these two different languages, one for talking about humans and one for talking about everything else with animals and plants somewhere in between Descartes put them both solidly on the side of matter without Mm -hmm. any consciousness, without any mind, but many others saw their similarities with humans. And the more we look at the relationship of humans to plants and animals, the more we think through the way we operate, the less comfortable we've been with that strict divide. And I think that we will be merging our ways of talking about them again and, and rediscovering this middle ground of animals and plants that have some of the properties of humans, but not all of them. And maybe as the last question, just talk a bit about uh, your, your next project or projects, what you've got going on. I am very interested in where we are going as a planet and as a species. I think this is a, another question that's been around for a long time, is related to our livingness because it has to do with our ability to, to change our environment. But I think that it's also a question that sort of gets wrapped up with science in problematic ways, much like biology and the the definition of life we've been talking about. We have these theories that have been around forever. In this case, a a theory about progress towards a better and better world that get packaged as science, but have a much older history and aren't always responding to to empirical research in the natural Mm -hmm. sciences. So I'll be looking at the future of humanity in space what we can say and what we can't say. And I'm excited to look at some 
science fiction as well as science uh, and theology and just think about how we imagine ourselves moving out into space. I can't wait to read that, Lucas. Uh, your book that we're talking about today is Life Concepts from Aristotle to Darwin on Vegetable Souls, published by Palgrave Macmillan. And I'm looking forward to reading your, your next book. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you.